You are listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Tara Lockyer is the former head of leadership and organizational effectiveness for Manulife. She's the former head of enterprise business engagement and implementation at CIBC, and she's the current chief people officer of ATB. Tara oversees human resources, team member programs, change management, and internal communications. Tara brings a wealth of leadership experience in human resources and talent development to the people and culture space. Today, we talk to Tara about the importance of building a focused culture and how to get the real message across to leadership. Welcome to another episode of Scaling Culture Podcast. Uh, I'm really excited to have Tara Lockyer with us today out of Calgary, Canada. Tara, welcome. Well, thanks. It's nice to be here. Yes, I know it's early for you. I'm sorry. About that. Oh, that's okay. Eight o'clock is the new reality, plus that's the commute right. time these days. <laughs> well, Tara, I'm excited to have you on. Can you can just start us off? Give us uh, just a snapshot. You've had a very diverse kind of uh, HR path, which I think started differently, though. I'm trying to remember correctly. Give us your, your, your background, what got you to where you are today. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to tell you how long I've been in HR for, but I guess I I went from sort of a manager operations role into an HR role. So I did come from the business, Um, started back in the day more in the training function. So really looking at developing skills in the organization and that morphed into some large projects that I've done in HR. But really for the last 10 to 15 years, I'd say I've been involved in sort of large culture transformation with a, a big spike of leadership development to go with it. And one thing that I was curious, because you mentioned leadership development, you know, and you've been in HR for some time, I'll just say it was for some time, time for some yeah. time. How has that changed? Are we developing leaders? Are you doing the work you're doing in organizations? Is it different today than it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 15? Has it changed or is it the same? Yeah, I would say it's completely different in the sense that we used to know what leaders needed to know. Now we're really setting up um, an environment where leaders are really focused on the environment. So lots of ambiguity, lots of agility. So it's less about different scenarios that they might come across versus how do they create an environment so that people can learn, adapt and grow and be resilient. So even our leadership training methods are quite different because of that, because we, we can't figure, you know, in three years and five years and 10 years, this is what you're going to need to know. We have no idea anymore. Uh, So a lot of the focus is on self-awareness, agility, all these new skills that are, are pretty new in the leadership space. So it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, it went from kind of uh, technical to now soft. You got it. And there was always soft. I'm, I'm going to say, though, that the human skill side of leadership has taken over. Mm-hmm. And are organizations putting as much stake uh, in the C-level leaders as mid-level and frontline, or is there a gap? Are we not focused on all levels of leaders from your perspective? Um, We should be focused on all levels of leaders. I think all organizations have this, you know, investment challenge every year um, and looking at what segment of their leadership population requires the most investment. 
and it changes. I think at this point of the, in time, because there's such a shift in what's happening, uh, that we've gone back up to the top of the house and have done a lot of focused work with our sort of our C-suite and our top leadership levels, because again, they set the tone. Uh, doing a lot of mindset shift work. And again, you can't really start that at the bottom or the middle. So we're kind of back at the top for the last year and a bit. And tell me about the mindset shift work. Well, again, I mean, leadership used to be this concept that you kind of grow vertically through the organization. You used to do the work, then you do the work at scale, and then you help other people do the work. Now leaders are actually leading folks and they have no idea what they're doing. They can't even anticipate the problems that might need to be solved. So again, the mindset is now, how do I create an environment for innovation? How do I create an environment for problem solving? Diversity. Uh, yeah, diversity and inclusion. So again, it's not about how do I teach them to do what I've already done? It's a very different mindset. And what does that look like if, you know, if, if I'm being trained on some of these things, how, what is it, am I on a course? What does it look like? How do I get that information and start to shift my mindset as a leader? That, that those things yeah, are now I important. Mean, it's a combination of a lot of things. This is not something you read in a book or take in a classroom, although there's some elements to that. I think it's a mm -hmm. lot of discussion with our peers about how it's feeling different to lead what are some best practices that are working? A lot of trial and error, because quite frankly, that's how organizations are running these days is, you know, a lot of minimum viable product solutions out there. So leadership kind of falls into that camp a little bit. Let's uh, try something different, see what that does from a, a performance for my team. So again, there's a lot of different ways to learn it, but I think there's a bit of vulnerability in leadership now which is to say, you know, I don't have all the answers, uh, lots of two-way feedback, sort of the, the team members and the leaders learning together, very different environment. And so it sounds like that's an important part that maybe was missing before leader was I'm the strong leader. Now it's, look, you need to be vulnerable if you're going to get ahead and if you're going to create relationships and trust with your teams. Yeah, like before leaders would have all the answers and I think people would see right through that. There's no way anybody could have all the answers in this kind of environment. So some humbleness and some willingness to listen and open up and ask the right questions. And yet at the same time, having the intestinal fortitude to move forward, even when things are really sort of gray and squishy. Well, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I don't know if you know the name Vern Harnish, uh, who runs an international company uh, called Scaling Up. And he's uh, been a great mentor and, and an advisor in one of our businesses. But he says exactly what you're talking about. He says, look, leaders used to have all the answers. Now our job is to get to the right question and Absolutely. have the organization answer those questions for us. Would that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, you got it. Hmm, interesting. And so, look, I know um, when we previously spoke, you talked about you really like. Oh, actually, you know, I have another question about leadership. Sorry. I okay. want to go back for a second. Um, where do you think the gap is in today, today, in, you know, this pandemic environment, you know, changing all the time? Are all the things we're talking about, do they play in today's sandbox or is there a gap? Is there something we need to be looking forward to? What do you think? I actually think they're probably leapfrogging some of the requirements. So these were things we needed our leaders to have. And now the pandemic is just shining a big spotlight on it. 
Right. Um, and you see it in terms of how organizations are surviving. So this empathetic leader, the listening leader, all of these skills, if done well, are really helping organizations survive through the pandemic and the absence of them um, is really apparent when the leader can't show up in the right way. So I think these were, we were shifting here anyways. Um, and like with a lot of other things, I think the pandemic is just requiring us to go a bit faster to get there. And do you think that this is uh, like seasons or fashion? It, will this come full cycle? Will we go back to a command control, you know, non-servant leader, but just, you know, I pay you and get stuff done. Like I believe in the olden days, you know, not the olden days, but you know, uh, but the workforce in leadership in the past, I most lean into that. Do you think that'll come full cycle or not? This is just, we are moving and evolving. Yeah, I think we're moving in and evolving. But at the same time, as I say that, when you are in crisis, sometimes leaders need to become more directive. So back to a more top-down style. So when you have an organization that's just in the throes of crises, sometimes we need leaders to resort to here's what we're going to do, here's what I need you to do, very directive, but that has a time and a place. So when you're in survival mode, I think it's very sort of task-based leadership or situational-based leadership, but as we start to evolve out of that, back into sort of survive and thrive, I think, you know, these concepts of real servant leadership will, will kind of stay with us for the next. You know, I, uh, as you say that, I, I absolutely agree. I think back to my, I was in the private security business for a long time. And I think back to the changes. So for instance, if we were trying to change something in the company, I, I certainly took a very different approach. Uh, you know, got a lot of feedback, took our time, engaged other stakeholders, et cetera, et cetera. But I can tell you that when the fences were coming down in the, you know, at the ACDC concert, there wasn't, hey, everybody, let's get here and let's have a look and see what we should do here. It was boom, 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 go, go, go. Here's what we're going to do, you know. And so that makes me think about your comment of there's a time and a place. In the pandemic, you're probably right. Uh, we're seeing more of let's move. You know, we don't, you know, as a leader, I don't know if I'm 100% right about this decision, but we need to make it, need to make it fast. And that's why I'm in this seat and let's move. Interesting insight, though, um, to be directive in times of crisis assumes there's a level of trust. And if you've been directive prior to the crisis, that trust might not have existed. So I think the directive style is working in an environment where there's a trust in leadership. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's been built over time. And again, I think we'll fall back into that much more sort of leading from behind again once we come out of the crisis. But again, core concept of trust. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to go to the other piece, you know, back to complex culture issues, because I know yeah. it's a passion of yours. That's a, that's a large buffet. <laughs> Tell me about some of the biggest challenges you've seen in, in, you know, a small, medium, large organizations and how you've overcome those or helped guide them through that. What are some of the top things that come to mind? Yeah, I mean, I'll talk about my most immediate one because it's a, probably one of the most interesting, complex culture transformations in that the culture is fantastic. So I've stepped into an organization that's considered the best workplace in Canada. We've got team member engagement scores that are through the roof. So one would step into that and say, it's perfect. I'm just going to sustain it. But at the same time, the company has created a new strategy, which requires some different ways of working 
that aren't necessarily in conflict with the culture, but there's definitely some elements that are missing in the culture. So with any culture transformation work, you kind of have to look at what's my strategy and what's the enabling environment that's going to help me execute on the strategy. So this is a challenge because I have to, to break what seems like perfection <laughs> and put it back together in a little bit of a new way. So that is quite the challenge. So I think part of the work is really understanding what's in the current makeup of the culture that we can't afford to lose. So what are those golden threads that we're going to pull through into the future? And then maybe what are the one or two elements that aren't necessarily in conflict, but they are new or they need to be amplified in a way that they haven't been. Um, and it's a bit of a finer dance than if you go into a really toxic culture where the burning platform's already there. Interesting. So can you, can you bring that visual to life? Give me an example of, look, this may not fit and we need to tweak it. What, what is that? Is that just work from home? What, what is yeah, that? Yeah, no. So, yeah. So if I think about the current culture I'm in, high, super high caring orientation, really purpose-driven organization, things we strive for in the textbooks, mm -hmm. the nice learning orientation. So a bit of entrepreneurial spirit. But one thing um, that our strategy is requiring from us is some pretty intense execution. And it hasn't been our strong point because we, you know, with entrepreneurialism, sometimes comes a lack of focus. With caring. Really? No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> guilty as charged. Caring, um, you know, is a little bit overemphasized to our team members and not enough to our customers. Um, so again, it's not that any of the dimensions are wrong. It's, you know, our, our best side is also our blind spots. So it's kind of that environment. So how do we bring a bit more performance discipline into the organization and a little bit more execution focus? So a lot of it's just introducing some new habits and systems into the organization. So we don't want to dilute caring but we do want to have it oriented more towards our customers and we don't want to dilute entrepreneurship, but we do want to have more focus and prioritization. So there's a lot of systems that we're starting to put in place to sort of put some guardrails around our culture. Let me ask a question um, because you hit on something that I wrote it down when you were talking and that is, this mindset shift. That's a big one. That, that, like, that's soft, but that's really big. And I, and I remember way back when I had the security business and, you know, going through something similar, you know, through Francis Frey's book, um, Uncommon Service, that was really good for me to say, what do we do? What do we not do? And where can we be the best? And where are we okay to lose? I loved, I, I really love that. But the challenge, and it sounds like something similar to what you're talking about is, for instance, we wanted to lean into large contracts 24-7. Uh, but when we started the business, people loved the company because we did everything for everybody. And so if Starbucks had a window that was broken, we would send a guard last minute and help them cover it off for six hours until and get there on time where no one else could show up until, um, you know, in, in, until they fixed the window. Of course, the building was messed up. We weren't educating the guards or training them on the site. It was a, it was a disaster. And the margins weren't even great either. And so when we shifted, there was a big challenge for me in telling the organization, we're not going to do this type of work anymore. Similar to this funnel of what you're talking about. The mindset change was a big challenge for me. I'm curious, how do you get people through that? And what happens if they can't get through? 
Gosh, yeah. Saying no is so hard when you've been a yes organization. So uh, how do you get people through that? There's a, there's a couple of things that I'm thinking of. One is, first of all, declaring what you're going to do and what you're not going to do and mm -hmm. making sure that's really clear for folks. There then has to be a system when that's in conflict. Um, so new things always come up and sometimes you have to pressure test that. So a new ask comes into the system and then again, you kind of run it through this funnel of does this fall in or out of what we're supposed to do? And that needs to happen at all layers of the organization. So here's the big job for leaders, right? Leaders jobs are to make things relevant. So we prioritize at the top of the house, but at the bottom in our frontline facing team members, their leaders also need to be making sure day in and day out that they're pressure testing what their team members are doing and does that fall within or outside of the guardrails that we've committed to as an organization. So really, really strong leadership. Having some you know, deep leadership conversations on what those new parameters are and giving them time to absorb and contextualize those for their team, really right. important. You know, it's funny. I think back to that same story, Tara, that I, I just told. And because I think back to what I, I mean, that was a, <clears throat> excuse me, that was a long time ago. And I think back, you know, with what I know today, how would I do that differently? Right. <clears throat> and I certainly, I think, failed those individuals back then. Maybe I'm, that's a strong, harsh word on myself. But by just saying, look, you know, I read this book and I'm going this way now. This is what we're doing, you know, versus, yeah. you know, maybe a, a, a you know, um, a different approach of saying, hey, hey Mr. or Ms. Employee, whoever you are <clears throat> that doesn't agree with this strategy, um, let me show you the data. Let me show you the P&L attached to these five clients that we've done that for. And you'll see here that we've lost money and they've, they, they really rated us low on service. This is bad, bad. You know, like this is not win-win. This is, they're not happy. We're not happy. They're not going to They've given us a negative review and we've not been profitable. And I think that would have been more impactful had I taken that path. Of course, I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, burning case for change. Rule number one and really important change management work, right? What is, you know, what's the impetus to make it change? Because it feels like it's working. Um, it's really hard to bring people along the journey. So what does the data say, you know, both qualitative and quantitative? What are our customers saying? What is the case for change? Why is there incentive for us to do and, and move in a different direction? And I honestly think you have to spend so much time there. Right. Just to make sure that people are bought in. Um, you know, the other way is to just spend a lot of time with your outliers in that environment. So in that situation, you're going to have people that are really on board and people that are really off board in the right. new direction. If you can convert one off board person, they will infiltrate everyone else. So spend a lot of time with both the people who can, you know, pull people along because they're there, they're ready to go, and then spend some time with your, your outliers that aren't. You'd asked an earlier question about those that never get on the bus. There's sometimes those that don't get on the bus, right? So people join an organization at a point in time with a certain culture, with a certain purpose, strategic differentiator, whatever. Um, and when that's changing, they may just not want that change. Maybe it just doesn't align with their values. Maybe it doesn't align with their skill sets. And, you know, you have to make the decisions as to whether or not um, it makes sense to keep them along for the ride in general. Hey. 
If and that's don't another, eat there. It's okay. <laughs> I was just going to say, Tara, how, from your experience, how does that conversation, what's it look like? You're talking to me. I'm, I just looked, Tara. I, I don't agree. I liked, you know, that we were nimble and we said yes to everything. I just, I'm not in line with this new direction of the company. I just can't get on board. I'm not having fun anymore. What does that look like? Then you know what? This probably isn't the place for you because this is the direction we're going and I need people that are fully bought in and ready to go. I think if you're willing to stay with us for the ride, you'll find it exciting, but these are the dimensions. And if you can't buy into those, let me find, let me help you find something else. Yeah. I love the, I think there's a, there is a combination, if I could summarize what you said, of directness and uh, empathy with the end piece of let me help you find. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that's really important. And, you know, I think, Tara, most miss the second part, which softens the first blow. No, I don't even know if it's a blow. Like, we've all been in jobs that we don't feel uh, take advantage of our best selves, and we all want to be in jobs that do. And sometimes it's almost like a weight's been lifted when your leader finally gives you permission to say, I don't want it. Right. Right. So Yeah. So don't string it along too long. Um, anytime I talk to leaders, one of the biggest mistakes they always say they make is they took too long on some talent decisions. But they knew well in advance who was going to fit and who wasn't. And they just sat on them because they wanted to be kind, but that's cruel. It's not kind when you have somebody in a role that they're not flourishing in. Mm, absolutely. And so when you're doing some of these big cultural changes, what are some of the um, most apparent roadblocks that you've seen happen? And then how have yeah. you got around those? Top of the house, always. <laughs> so, ah. Um, top of the house is the biggest roadblock. So, you know, you go through this exercise of identifying the target culture that you need to, to realize your strategy. And intellectually, our senior leaders are always on board, right? Because it makes sense. But personally, they may not work that way. So they could have a personality element that's in conflict, or they you know, their success has been born from the old culture. And there's a little bit of fear that if they let go of that, they won't be successful in the new environment. And yet the whole organization looks upward to see what they're doing. And it's not what they're saying because they always say the right things. It's what they're actually doing in the moments that matter um, that will determine if they're moving in the direction of the new culture. So sometimes, even when we've identified our target culture state, we almost keep it hidden from the broader organization for a period of time just to work through what the senior leadership team um, is doing and how they're showing up. So that when we start to talk about the new culture to the all-employee population, they don't look up up and go, well, that's totally not going to work here because look at those ladies and guys up there. So yeah, I think senior leadership is the biggest obstacle. So I think this would be really, I think this would be really helpful uh, for those listening because we've got different level leaders from entrepreneurs to frontline leaders uh, that listen to this podcast. That's a tougher conversation than the one we just spoke about actually, right? Yeah. Because yeah. If you have to go and talk to the founder, the CEO, the senior leader, she or him to say, look, you're saying ABC, but you're not walking the walk. Tell me about yeah. that conversation. 
Yeah, that's that conversation. So that's behind closed doors. Um, you try and bring as much proof point and evidence. You bring a weapon, a weapon. Of <laughs> I bring data. Data is my weapon. <laughs> that's a good weapon. Uh, yeah, data is my weapon, right? And um, it's unbiased and you can get in a variety of ways. So one of the, for example, I did a big piece of culture work at a prior organization um, we were sort of locking in on some key values and behaviors that we thought were really important. And then we asked, what are some of the barriers in the organization? And the data point I brought was 89% of our team members felt like our leadership team was not living um, the words that they were talking about. And I said, so that was the data point. Like what more of a burning platform do you need right. than that? Yeah. Right. The voice of 50,000 employees telling you, you and your team, um, aren't behaving in the way you're talking. So, so I let me just, just stop for one sec because I want to play that back to you because I think there's yeah. an important point here, which is being uh, providing data, not opinion. Correct. And presenting that to really protect yourself. You know, that you don't want to be the shot messenger here that says, look, I just don't feel, I don't believe. That's not what you're saying. You're saying, look, I'd like to present you with something that you might, which may tell its own story. I wanted to these points, Absolutely. correct? Absolutely. Yes. Keep going. That's great. Yeah. I think anything that you can take the bias out of is really important. Not completely possible in all instances and culture is a bit squishy. So it's not always data driven, but you can do. So one of the, the things I would often do is just listening tours, go around the organization, you know, what's working, what's not working. What are the barriers? Again, very qualitative data to bring forward to the team. Um, so again, it's, it's not, you know, the world according to Tara. Um, and so different mechanisms to do that. Listening tours work really well. Surveys work really well. Uh, and Tara, have you had an instance where even after data is presented, and hopefully this is, I don't know if it's a CEO or founder, where it, they just can't get there. They can't get there. So what happens? Well, um, and it's their choice to make. So let me give you an example of, you know, there's data, which is again, um, team member data. They have a different view of the mountain than the CEO. So one of the conversations I had was like, look, the words you're putting out there, they're not resonating with our employees at all. They're so future oriented that it feels disingenuous to the public. But sorry, Tara, that sounded like an opinion to me. Did you... <laughs> Right. That was very, that you, you, that you, you struck a chord there. Did you, do you say, Hey, this feedback, would you, this is the feedback or do you say, look, I'm just going to give it to you straight. Well, this is the feedback and I'm going to give it to you straight. Okay. <laughs> this is the feedback. Here's what you want. I think they'll feel it's pretty distant. I mean, if 5,000 people tell you a, right, and you right. B, it's going to be in conflict. So, right. How that reconciles is the leader still needs to make a decision, right? Maybe they want to pull the culture faster than the culture is ready to go. So then we start to wrap our arms around the change management program that's going to support that. Or so maybe, that, or maybe that they, more. it may be the other side too, right? Where not, not that they want to pull it, but they're behind. They've, they've kind of projected this vision of what they want it to be. And that's what I thought you were talking about. They can't, they can't deliver on, uh, you know, we have this culture of empathy and uh, here I'm passive aggressive. Right. Um, yeah. So what's the data point on that is, so culture drives the execution of strategy 
Um, so if I can show the disconnect, I can almost time bound how much longer it's going to take to realize some of the strategic benefits. Right. That might be, not be the tipping point, but again, how can you show evidence of how that behavior is actually inversely affecting uh, the time to execute? Excellent. Yeah, Carol, it's not perfect every time, Ron. I'll tell you. Yeah, yeah. You've been in the you've been in the hot seat a few times, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, look, uh, I, I want to thank you. This has been an incredible conversation. I've certainly uh, taken some notes and had some great takeaways. Um, uh, you've got a, a, a large um, depth of experience that you bring to the table. And, and so thank you so much for sharing that uh, on, our, uh, on our podcast today. My absolute pleasure. For more information on Tara Lockyer or anything else related to scaling culture, please see the show description for details. We'll be back next week with another incredible guest.